Hey everyone, continuing in Genesis, and this whole section I would describe as setting the scene for the entrance of Abraham and God's redemptive plan through the nation of Israel. And he's setting up a huge contrast and massive themes that are going to run throughout all of Scripture. And I would say that Genesis 10 is the, it's, a, it's called the Table of Nations. It's not a a genealogy, it's a, it's a listing of the major people groups that we see uh, in that area at that time, running through a lot of the, the major ones, obviously starting with Noah and his three sons, and then the sons and the peoples and the cities and all the different things that were established in those early days before Abraham. And uh, one thing I want us to highlight here is that we have basically the third generation after Noah, a couple of significant figures. So we have Noah, has Ham, one of his three sons, who has Cush, who has a guy named Nimrod. And if you grew up on Bugs Bunny like me, then you know that Nimrod wasn't a uh, a good guy. I mean, obviously, uh, Bugs Bunny used it to make fun of Elmer Fudd hunting him. And But according to the Bible, Nimrod was a pretty significant figure. He wasn't a pushover like Elmer Fudd. Um, look at what it says in Genesis 10, verse 8. It says, Cush, so came from Ham, Cush, fathered Nimrod. He was the first on earth to be a mighty man. So pretty significant figure. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. And I don't know what to completely make of that. I know some commentaries really said that it's sort of a mocking kind of thing there. Um, so maybe Bugs Bunny was onto something. But the, the point is, is that this guy had made a big name for himself, but not necessarily uh, before God. He was not at all walking with God. Um, it says, in the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Eric, Akkad, and Kalna in the land of Shinar. From that land he went into Assyria and built Nineveh, uh, Rehoboth Ur, Kala, and Rezin between Nineveh and Kala. That is the great city. So these were cities, nation states, places that were all established by Nimrod, pretty significant um, places. Now, so we've got these four generations. It also lines up with uh, the gener these four generations through Shem. So we have Noah, Shem, Arpachshad, these are hard to pronounce, I don't know if I'm doing it right, and then he has this guy named Eber. So Eber and Nimrod are on the same uh, generational level there. They're meant to be contrast and compared to each other. In verse 25 it says, To Eber was born two sons. The name of one was Peleg, for in his days the earth was divided. So apparently that word for Peleg means division. For in his days the earth was divided, and his brother's name was Joktan. These, and then at the end of chapter 10, it says, These are the clans of the sons of Noah, according to their genealogy, in their nations, and from these the nations spread abroad on the earth after the flood. It's important to realize, too, that so he's, we've, we're lining up Nimrod with Eber, and in Eber we see two sons, the first one talks about divided, the world is divided, and then the second son, it ends with him. And then right after that, we go right to the Tower of Babel. After the Tower of Babel, we get a genealogy of Shem. This is all really significant stuff that the scripture is doing right here. And, and oh, by the way, all of the people and people groups that are mentioned uh, in chapter 10 add up to 70. It's exactly 
70, which is an incredible thing that, that the writer of, of Genesis, God is inspiring in Moses to, to, to say essentially what it says in that last verse, that these are all the nations. This is the complete, all of the peoples. And we're contrasting the people of the world versus the people of God, the people that are following not God and the people that are following God. Okay? So, so then we go into Genesis 11, two th- major things, the Tower of Babel, which, by the way, it means Babylon. So every, the same word used here is in Hebrew is used for, uh, in all other places the Bible is referencing Babylon. So this is the original foundation, the original beginning of this great city of Babylon. And there is massive meaning in that throughout all of Scripture, we, where we have a contrast of two cities. The city of God versus the city of man or the city of Satan or the city of evil. And and the the city of evil is always represented as this idea of Babylon. In some cases, it's a literal city, like in the case here. In other cases, it's it's figurative, meaning like the, 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 the structures and the systems outside of God and his structures and systems. So we have the table of nations ending with, uh, uh, the two sons of Eber, one of them descends and leads to the Tower of Babel. The other one gets picked up in the ge- genealogy of Shem, leading to Abraham. Again, all this, I think, is a se- it's a complete, total setup for the introduction that God uh, gives us with Abram, who later becomes Abraham, obviously. So let's, let me look through the Tower of Babel. I just want to highlight some things in this very short story. It says, now the whole earth had one language in the same words, okay? Everybody spoke the same thing, same language. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And by the way, the, all the directions we see within the earlier parts of Genesis, they move eastward when they're moving away from God. Adam and Eve were expelled to the east out of Eden. Uh, Cain went east. All movement away from God is, is, is all together meant to be, all comes with this idea of east. And I don't think that's something that we need to think about literally today, like don't move east, always move west. It doesn't mean that, but it's, it's the writer creatively and artistically pointing us to this idea of moving away from God, not, not towards him. And they said to one another, these people, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. So we got a new technology of brick making has arrived. And they had brick for stone and butamen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Now there's important clues here. And by the way, archaeologists tell us that these uh, ancient ziggurat um, t- uh, pyramid-style uh, buildings that were built in those days were all built in order to reach up to the gods, not so that people could go up to the gods, but so that the gods would come down to them. And they would have a temple as part of that structure or next to it meant to you know, draw that God down so that he could be a part of their city. They're trying to establish themselves and their personal significance, the significance of their name, like basic, by getting God to be a part of what they're doing. And another thing that's significant here is that they don't want to be dispersed over the whole face of the earth. They want to build something right here and all stay together. We're, 
Whereas in contrast, God had told them, and uh, he told Adam and Eve, he told Noah, uh, you need to go and multiply and fill the earth. Fill the earth, not stay in one location. So not only are they they're calling God to be a part of what they're doing, but they're also defying what God had commanded them to do. They wanted to do it their way. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. Ironically, God did come down. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is, the, this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose will do, that, to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So God does something miraculous that causes all these different uh, forms of language to form right there. And so the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. They could no longer organize like they had before because of the communication breakdown. Now, therefore, its name is called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. God is working the plan that he wanted them to do. He's making them disperse around all parts of the earth. Now, the Lord said to Abraham, and I just want to highlight a contrast here, because we're jumping ahead a little bit to chapter 12, which we'll get into. Now, the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. This is a significant contrast. Rather than saying he's, he's going, rather than calling God to join what Abraham's doing, God is calling Abraham to do what God wants. And God's promised him, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. God is going to make Abram's name great. Abram's not making his own name great. And, of course, we know that this blessing is a blessing for all the nations, not just him. Because later promises that God makes to Abraham is that he explicitly says, Through you, I will bless you and all the nations will be blessed through you. In other words, this is the beginnings of the, 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 the redemptive plan of God is beginning to crystallize here so that it's all one plan. And you can see how there's a significant contrast between the people of man and the people of God, the city of man versus the future city of Jerusalem and the future new Jerusalem, all those ideas that contrast. Who's in charge? Uh, are we following God or are we hoping God will follow us? I mean, I've used, said this before, but I think it's this idea of like, do I expect God to be like this divine butler, you know, the, the genie in the bottle who will show up and fix whatever wish I have, whatever problem I have to solve and to, and to accomplish everything that I want for my glory, for my name. And ultimately, I think throughout all of these, this, one of the themes that we've seen from the Garden of Eden all the way through here is, do we trust that God's plan, God's design is a good one? That he knows what's best. Remember, Satan challenged. It's like God's trying to withhold something from you. God doesn't want what's best for you. The, the plan that God has is not what's right for you. This is what's right for you. Man is trying to find their significance 
by making a name for themselves in this big city. But can I find my significance in God? Will he do that for me? And so several questions. Am I letting God lead my life? And this is something that I've been questioning a lot in my own life. And just this idea of waiting on him and letting everything that I do be, be tuned to what he wants rather than just um, pursuing my desires and then just sort of adding in God like you know dutifully you're supposed to do. Am I waiting on him? Am I listening to him? Am I following him? Is he what's driving me? Do I believe that his design and plan is good? Or do I think my way or what other people have told me is the right way? Am I seeking and trying to desire to find out what his plan is and what it is? And then do I believe that he will give me significance and purpose? We all need significance and purpose. But one of the lies of Satan is that we can't find it through God in his way because he's withholding something from us or, or we won't get complete fulfillment. That's a complete lie. God's way is where we find our significance and our purpose in following him. And then he blesses us. He's the one that uses us to bless others. You know, the same kind of idea with Abraham. So you guys can talk about that. But we are going to um, wrap up this section of Genesis. And we're going to spend um, the next few weeks, maybe through our next intentional gathering in November, kind of hitting different topical areas of the first 11 chapters of Genesis, including the, the idea of the image of God, the idea of marriage, the idea of rest. We see the idea of work. I want to look a little deeper at the idea that we see in Genesis 3 about sin and temptation and those kinds of things. Those are ideas that I'm wrestling with right now and thinking about, but if you guys have some other things you'd like us to, to dig into, we'll do that during this, this sort of break time, and then we'll pick back up with the story of Abraham uh, later in November. So guys, remember to listen to Jesus, do what he says, and know that you are loved.